It does not. The, the, the purpose of, of mission, to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to all nations, is so that all peoples might worship Jesus, so that they might live for the thing they were designed to live for, and that is to worship the name of Jesus. Regarding worship, Millard Erickson in his systematic theology said this, the church centers its attention on who and what God is. Watch this, not on itself. It aims at appropriately expressing God's nature, not at satisfying its own feelings. This is worship. It is pointing our attention on who and what God is and not on ourselves. And so it's based on this understanding of worship that over the years at our church, we have changed. If you've kind of paid attention, you've been here very long. We, we have changed the way by which we choose songs and the songs that we sing together as a church. If you've been here for very long, you, you've known it's probably about a year ago or more, we started singing a lot more hymns and redoing some of those or, or bringing some songs back even from the 90s and things like that. We, we've brought a lot of worship that's kind of been forgotten back into our church. And, and we, we still sing current and, and modern stuff, but, but the reason that we've done that, I'm just gonna be real with you, is because a lot of modern worship is about me and my feelings and not about the nature and glory of God. And so while many of the Psalms talk about my struggles and my feelings and what I'm going through, right? Many do. The, the, the result of those Psalms and the answer to those Psalms is a right view of God and taking my focus, my attention off myself and putting it on the nature and character and glory of God. That's the answer to those Psalms. And so throughout the years of our church, we have slowly transitioned away some from more modern worship. And, and we're actually, uh, Brandon and Mark, we talk about this uh, with our elders and Brandon and Mark over the years have been examining songs and lyrics to songs. And, and, and we've just found a, a lot of present day music is more about us and our own feelings and what we're going through. And so we, we've just decided at church, we're gonna sing more about the nature and glory and character of God than we are about ourselves. It's not, it's not wrong to do that. I'm just saying we're going to do that more than the other because that's the purpose of the church. And it's the purpose of your life and my life is to get our attention off of ourselves and put it on the nature and glory of God. And so it's, it's just, it's impacted the songs that we sing. The church exists for ministry to him. That's worship. Secondly, the church exists for ministry to you. Ministry to you, and we're going to see this in, in, in two different ways. Number one, ministry to you is fellowship. This is the Greek word koinonia, koinonia fellowship. Here, here's what that Greek word means. It, it, it's so deep. It literally means sharing or holding all things in common. So we're going to talk about more about what that means here in just a second, but, but it means sharing or having or holding all things in common together. So the, the first place we kind of see this is in Acts chapter two, where it says they ate together and they enjoyed each other's company. So, the, so they're sharing in relationship and connection and enjoying each other's company. But it, but it goes so much deeper than that. In Acts chapter four, we see the members of the early church even held all of their material possessions in common. Look with me in Acts chapter four, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So all of their money and possessions, whatever they had, it wasn't their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one of the, one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. But then it's so much more than that too. This, this coin of fellowship, Paul 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, talks about sharing in each other's experiences. Paul said, if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, then all the parts are glad. We mourn with those who mourn and we celebrate with those who are celebrating. In Galatians chapter six, verse two, Paul says, we're to bear one another's burdens. And so in doing so, in, in this koinony of fellowship, hurt and pain is reduced as we share each other's burdens, but joy and happiness is increased as we share and encourage and sympathize with each other. A couple of years ago, when COVID hit and we began to, to see that we weren't gonna be able to meet in person for a little bit, we had a meeting with our staff and we, we challenged our staff to lean into this time. We're not gonna sit back, we're gonna, we're gonna lean in and we called it showing up for people. We're gonna lean in. And so we had goals of contacting, every staff member of contacting a certain number of people a week, whether by phone, text, or, or messenger, or, or, or whatever. We're gonna contact people, we're gonna pray for people, we're gonna ask people how they were doing. We, we started doing daily services online just to, to continue to provide uh, content and prayer and, and worship. We, we were seeking to, to lean in, but, but what we also noticed as some of you and some of our family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors began to struggle and began to suffer and began to experience loss of life. That we needed to, we called it show up for people. That, that somehow, some way, and especially during that season, we had to be creative, but we were gonna show up for people who were struggling. And so I remember a, a single mom that lost a car and needed a new car and people in our church came together and bought her a new car. I know of another single mother that was drowning in debt and people came together and paid off that debt. I can't tell you how many situations where people even just showed, didn't even tell us just like, showed up for people in their small group or people they volunteered with. I remember a, a family a year ago or so was adopting a, a new baby boy and had to go to Amarillo and some people said, hey, hey, what, what, what's, what's the gender? They said, boy, we don't have any boy stuff. They said, okay, hey, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. They were gone. By the time they got back, that, that those volunteers and people in some of those groups got together and, and they just absolutely showered their home with, with boy stuff and with baby stuff just to, to help this new family who had adopted this new child. You see, that's... That's koinonia fellowship, sharing in burdens, sharing in celebrations, caring for one another. Those who have plenty, sharing and helping those who have need. There's, there's so many stories, I could, I could keep going, but there's so many stories like that of people leaning in and showing up for each other. And I just wanna, I wanna challenge you to keep being that kind of people that show up for one another in good times and in bad times. Because this is, this is what the church is. This is what, we're, what we exist for. It's to, to share in everything. This ministry to you is fellowship, but secondly, ministry to you is discipleship. This ministry to you is discipleship. Paul said that his goal was not simply to bring people to some sort of initial saving faith like conversion, but to help these new baby believers grow and mature in their relationship with Jesus. Colossians chapter one, verse 28, Paul said this, we wanna present them, these converts to God, perfect in their relationship with Christ. Some translations say mature in their relationship with Jesus, mature in Christ. And then he says this in verse 29, that's why I work and struggle so hard to, to, to help the church, to help these new converts grow and mature in their relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I work so hard at this. He said, depending on Christ's mighty power that works 
within me. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, Paul has just completed talking about talk, uh, spiritual gifts and their purpose and their function in the church. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But he says this, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one's going to sing, another's going to teach, another's going to tell some special revelation that God has given. Someone's going to speak in tongues, another's going to interpret that tongue. But everything, watch what he says, everything, all of these things, all of these gifts have been given for the purpose, watch, watch what he says, everything that has been done must strengthen all of you. Some translations say to edify you, to build you up. That's the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's to glorify God and it's to build up the church. And so when, when God gives someone a gift, no matter what it is, we are to use that gift in the local expression of a church, we might use it in other places, but the primary place God has called you to use your spiritual gift is in service to the church so that the church might be built up and encouraged and so that we all might mature in our relationship with Jesus as we serve and as we all are operating in our spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, Paul said it like this. Now these gifts are given by Christ to the church Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers, their responsibility, verse 12, watch this. What, what's, what's the responsibility of a pastor? What's the job of a pastor? Is it to entertain? No. The primary job of a pastor is to equip. It's to equip God's people to do his work. My, my, my job, the primary job of a pastor is to equip you to do your ministry for God. We're all in the ministry. I'm not the only one in the ministry. We're all in the ministry. And my job is to help equip you for your ministry. Paul says to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. That's our, that's our purpose. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. How are you gonna know the truth? You gotta study the word, you gotta be equipped, you gotta be built up, you gotta mature if you're gonna know the difference between truth and error. So the church, and all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they exist to equip you. And that is my primary job as a pastor is to equip you for your ministry and to equip you for your relationship with God. So equip you for your relationship with God so that you know him, so that you become mature, so that you know what you believe and why you believe it. To equip you for your ministry, first of all, to us, to serve your church, to make disciples, to equip each other, to care for each other, and yes, even to lovingly correct one another sometimes. That's our ministry, all of our ministry to us. But then there's another part of your ministry and it's to them. The church is to equip you for your ministry to them. This is you preaching the gospel, making disciples of the lost and the unreached. That, that's, that's here like, in your home, in your neighborhood, at your school, at your work, in your circle, that, that's here among your family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors that do not follow Jesus. Your, your ministry is to them. And then it's there among unreached people groups where people will be born, live, and die and never hear the name of Jesus, never see a Bible, never see a church. Some of you are going to be equipped and trained through our church to go there to a people group who have never heard the name of Jesus and you're gonna tell them the great news of the gospel. And that's our prayer. It's to equip you, it's to build you up, it's to mature you for your relationship with God and for your ministry to us and your ministry to them. So the church exists for ministry to him, ministry to you. And then third, ministry, as we said, to them. Ministry to them, we, we see two different aspects of this ministry to them. Number, number one, ministry to them is evangelism. Ministry to them is evangelism. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations. That's every ethne. That's the word ethne. It's every people group on the face of the planet. That charge, that mission has been given to you and I, to the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said it like this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, so the, even one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we operate even in our gifting is for the sake of being a witness to the ends of the earth. That, that we might receive power. As Jesus said, I'm going to be with you. He was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you to encourage you and to empower you and to give you boldness to go and to preach the gospel and make disciples of all the nations to the ends of the earth. In Matthew chapter 24, speaking about this mission, Jesus said the good news about the kingdom is going to be preached throughout the whole world to all nations. They'll all hear it and then the end will come. In Acts chapter 4, Starting in verse 19, Peter and John have been arrested. They've been beaten because they will not stop talking about Jesus. They will not stop preaching in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They will not stop doing what Jesus told them to do. They, they, they won't stop. And so they're, they're arrested, they're beaten. And then once again, they are warned to no longer talk about Jesus. And they tell them, you got to stop or we're going to, we're going to arrest you and we're going to beat you again, right? You got to stop. What do they, how do they respond? In verse 19, Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? That's an interesting way to put that, right? You got to stop. Well, listen, we've got to obey Jesus. In other words, talking about Jesus, sharing the gospel, making disciples is a matter of obedience or disobedience to your Lord and Savior, Jesus. It's obedience or disobedience. So if we're talking about Jesus, if we're making disciples, if we're ministering to them, both here and there, then, then, then we're obeying. But to the degree to which we're not, we're, we're, we're disobeying the command that our Lord Jesus has given us to be his witnesses. Verse 20, watch what they said. It's a matter of obedience or disobedience, but look at verse 20. They said this, I love this. We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. You're telling us to stop, but we can't stop. We can't stop talking about Jesus. Why? I think, I think it's at least two reasons why they couldn't help but talk about Jesus, why they couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I think, number one, uh, they couldn't stop talking about Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead. He was a dead man, and he came back to life and proved that he was God. And he said, hey, listen, if you follow me, just like I died and then I rose, if you follow me, even though you die, you will rise. If you believe in me, I'm the resurrection of life. Anyone who believes in me, even though they die, they will live. And so they're like, are you kidding me? This dude died. We saw him dead and now he's alive. And he's saying, if you put your faith and trust that you give your life to me, that even though I die, I'm going to be risen from the grave and I'm going to live forever. Are you kidding me? And, and wait a second, I don't have to do better or try harder. I don't have to keep a list. All I, I follow Jesus and, and my sin is forgiven. I'm made right with God and I can know for sure that when I die, I'm going, are you kidding me? They were so excited about that because it's good news that they couldn't stop talking about it, right? Is anyone else excited about that? Ooh, maybe that's why we're not talking. Let me ask you again. Anyone else excited about that? Yeah, that's great news, guys. That's great news. A dead man came back to life and said, if you follow him, even though you die, you're going to live. That's great news. And they couldn't stop talking about it. It's, it's great news that the gospel says it's done. Religion says you got to go and do and work your way to God. And God says, no, that's not the way it works. The gospel says it's done and it's finished. That's great news. 
And so they couldn't stop. They were so excited about what Jesus had done for them. All they'd seen and heard, they, they couldn't believe it. And so they couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I think that's the first, first reason. And then the second reason they wouldn't stop, no matter the, the pain, the suffering that they would endure. The, the second reason is that they, they believed Jesus when he said, there's, there's no other way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. There, there is no other way. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, they, they've already said that. Peter and John say, listen, we, we, we're not going to stop because there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. And listen, if you really believe that, and I really believe that too, that there's no other name by which you can be saved, listen to me. If you really believed that there was no other name by which your family members, friends, coworkers, and neighbors could be saved, if, if you really believe that just everybody that dies goes to a better place, that's not what the Bible said. It, it is not what the Bible says. If we really believe that, if we really believe there was no other name, then I bet we'd be more like Peter and John. We couldn't help, we couldn't stop talking about what we've seen in her. We couldn't talk, stop talking about Jesus if we really believe there was no other name. They beat Paul and left him for dead at one point. And Paul got right back up and he went back into that same city where they beat him and left him for dead and he kept preaching about Jesus. Why? Why would he go back? He believed there was no other name by which he could be saved. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus because there was no other name. And listen, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to know the, the, the Bible is 100% clear that not everyone who died is in a better place. And then there's only one name by which you can be saved and that's to give your life to Jesus. And when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says your sin is forgiven because he, he died on that cross to pay the fine for your sin. You, you, you're made right with God. You, you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven because Jesus rose from the grave. He's the firstborn among many sons and, da and, and daughters. That, that when you give your life to Jesus, even though you die, you're gonna live. You're gonna, you're gonna spend eternity with Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, today is your day, now is your time. Jump on our app, fill out our connect form, give your life to Jesus today. Let us know about that decision so that we can help you grow and get you plugged into our church where we can help you grow and surround you with support and care. Millard Erickson in his systematic theology said this, therefore the church is to be faithful to its Lord and bring joy to his heart it must be engaged in bringing the gospel to all people. Ministry to them is first evangelism. Ministry to them secondly is mercy. It's mercy. What is mercy? Well, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology said this about these ministries of mercy. Here's what he said. This evangelistic work of declaring the gospel is the primary ministry that the church has towards the world. That's what we just talked about. Yet accompanying the work of evangelism is also a ministry of mercy, a ministry that includes caring for the poor and the needy in the name of the Lord. Such ministries of mercy to the world may also include in participation in civic activities or attempting to influence governmental policies to make them more consistent with biblical moral principles. In areas where there is systematic injustice manifested in the treatment of the poor and or ethnic or religious minorities, the church should also pray and, as it has opportunity, speak against such injustice. All of these are ways in which the church can supplement its evangelistic ministry to the world and indeed adorn the gospel that it professes. But such ministries of mercy to the world should never become a substitute for genuine evangelism or for the other areas of ministry to God and to believers mentioned above. These are ministries of mercy. Jesus talked about these ministries of mercy. Matthew chapter five, verse 16, he said this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said this, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. 
For I was, watch this, hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Jesus said the, the, the sheep that know him and follow him and have inherited eternal life will live in a way that displays the, the mercy and the care of God to the world. We're gonna feed the hungry. We're gonna clothe the, the, the naked. We're, the, we're gonna care for the sick. We're gonna minister to the prisoner. These are the things that will mark the sheep that listen to their shepherd Jesus and follow him. Galatians chapter six, verse 10, Paul said it like this. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the family of faith. James 1 verse 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's pure and genuine religion. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great theologian, said it like this, the church must share in the secular problems of ordinary human life. The danger, of course, and we've seen this all throughout church history, the danger with engaging in these works of charity is the church might abandon the rest of its calling and just simply become a welfare industry or an instrument of political lobbying for various social causes. If the church forgets the, the why of our service, our love for God, our love for our neighbor, promotion of the gospel, then our view of church becomes reduced to just a social function. Michael Byrd in his systematic theology, speaking of these dangers, said this. We offset that danger by remembering that mission is the proclamation of the gospel. Consequently, our urgent kingdom tasks in caring for the poor, looking after the outcast, pleading the case for the oppressed are the vital business we do along the way and not a substitute for our work of preaching, administering the sacraments, that is baptism and the Lord's Supper and teaching. Such ministries of charity or mercy and justice reflect the character of God and actualize the reign of God in our midst as we preach the boundless mercy and saving justice of God declared in the gospel, we are compelled to act in charity and to advocate for justice, lest we be accused of saying one thing and doing another. As Grudem said, our primary work in evangelism is the preaching of gospel and making disciples. But these ministries of mercy will adorn, they'll accompany the gospel that we preach. These are the reasons the church exists. Ministry to him, ministry to you, ministry to them. But did you notice the reasons the church doesn't exist? It, it doesn't exist for your entertainment. It, it doesn't even exist to inspire you. It, it's not a social event where you can develop business contacts. It's not even a weekly religious event. That, that's not the reason the church exists. I had a pastor friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, post this. I, I would never post something like this, but he did, so I'm going to read it to you. He said this, don't blame the church for some unmet expectations you weren't contributing to. Here are some examples. He said, I was never getting fed, says the guy who missed two-thirds of the church gatherings and doesn't read his Bible. Shallow relationships, said the lady that wasn't in a small group. My church isn't friendly, said the one who arrives late, sits next to the people they've known forever and leaves without greeting anyone else. And then he said this, I love this. He said, you are the church. You must or it won't. If you are not, it isn't. When you don't, it doesn't. The church is not a store filled with products for you to consume. It is a mission for the hurting. It is a family of faith. So my question this morning is, do you, do you have a healthy relationship with the church? In any healthy relationship, there's give and take, right? That's the, that's the sign of a healthy relationship. There, there's, there's give and take. 
And the same thing is true with the church. A healthy relationship is one where you consume and contribute, right? You, you, you take from the church, you consume, that's a good thing, but then you, you take and you contribute in turn and, and round and round we go. That's a, that's a healthy relationship with the church. We all consume at first as brand new Christians. And that's fine. The problem is when we remain consumers. You see, when you and I remain consumers, the church loses sight of its mission and begins to look far from the original. Francis Chan wrote in his book, Letters to the Church, he talked about an experience in Beijing where he was talking with some Chinese pastors about this exact thing. Here's what he said. He said, I was in Beijing speaking to pastors who used to lead underground churches. Now that oppression was easing up in China, at least at this point, they had been given more freedom, so they began taking their churches above ground. They rented buildings and started running services the way we do in America. It was great for a while, but these pastors became so discouraged. I wish I could convey the frustration and desperation in their voices. They talked about the good old days when their people were risking their lives and radically sharing the gospel and making disciples. But now these pastors were lamenting the way their people attend services and expect the leaders to feed them and cater to them. They had seen this same transition in Korea and were terrified it would happen in their context as well. All anyone wanted was a Jesus in a church that served their needs and kept them comfortable. What started at a movement became a bunch of people sitting safely in services. My mind flashed back to five years prior when my daughter and I went to an underground gathering in China. Young people were praying so passionately, begging God to send them to the most dangerous places. They were actually hoping and willing to die as martyrs. I'd never seen anything like it. I I still can't get over the fearless passion for Jesus this church embodied. They shared stories of persecution. And I sat in amazement and asked for more and more stories. After a while, they asked why I was so intrigued. And I told them the church in America was nothing like this. I can't tell you how embarrassing it was. To try to explain that people attend 90 minute services once a week in buildings and that's what we call church. I I told them about how people switch churches if they find more entertaining teaching, more exciting music or more programs. As as I described church life in America, they began to laugh. Not just small chuckles, They were laughing hysterically. I felt like a stand-up comedian, but I was simply describing the American church as I've experienced it. They found it laughable that we could read the same scriptures they do and then create something so incongruent and something so consumeristic. You see, here's the problem. Consumers choke the cause of Christ. It it just, it's what happens. So much so that it becomes embarrassing and laughable to radically committed followers of Jesus that are willing to die for the sake of the gospel. But, But on the other hand, contributors champion the cause of Christ. You see, a consumer, here's here's a consumer. A consumer says, it's all about me. While the contributor says, it's about him and them. The consumer is, it's all about me. The contributor says, it's all about him and them. It's about the cause of Christ. You see, contributors understand something the consumer does not. The contributor understands the church exists for the glory of God, the equipping of the saints, and the mission of Jesus. The the, the contributor understands that it, it does not exist to entertain me. But let's be honest. 
Just like last week, let's be honest. A lot of us aren't contributing our, our time, our money, our resources, our energy towards the glory of God, the equipping of the saints, the mission of Jesus. And, and we're not doing so because one is we just, let's just be honest, it, it's not worth it to us. Or two, because we've got other priorities. Let's just, let's just be real, right? We, we, can't, we can't experience transformation and change if we're, not, if we're not real about where we're at. But Paul said in Philippians chapter two, that, that joy is actually found in pouring ourselves out together for the gospel. That like, that's where joy is found. That's what the scripture says. And so you're missing out on joy. You're missing out on, on purpose. You're missing out on the real reasons the church exists when, when it's all about you, when you're not contributing. You're just, you're just missing out. Paul said joy is found as we together pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. So, so I'm just gonna show you my cards as I do often around here. I'm just gonna show you my cards. We, we are never going to be a comfortable, casual, typical American church. It's just not who we are and it's not who we're gonna be. And so if that's what you're looking for, I'm just telling you, you're, you're never gonna be satisfied here, right? You, you just won't be. And, and you're gonna hear me challenge you and push you for more because that's where Jesus is calling you. He's calling you out of the crowd to become a follower. It, it's just, it's never gonna be us. We're, we're never gonna be an event you attend once a week. And some of you are like, I'm getting that because we're still here and it's 1245. Exactly. This is not your typical church. We are about radically following Jesus and being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. This church exists for the glory of God, the equipping of the saints and the mission of Jesus. And so we're calling you, we're challenging you to come with us. Yeah, come on, we're, we're calling you. We're challenging you to more, to come with us and to pursue, we're not there yet, but we're pursuing this. This is, this is what we're pursuing, this is what we're seeking. And so my prayer, just all over again, my prayer for this series is the Holy Spirit will use this series to, to change our hearts and minds that we might believe rightly about the church, that we might respond rightly to the church and, and that he might bring purification and reformation, transformation and revival in your heart and mind. Would you pray with me? God, we need your Holy Spirit right now to move in our hearts and our minds. God, this is the church that so many of us wanna be. God, we need your spirit to come and to do in us and through us what we can not do for ourselves. God, I pray that we would be a church that corporately, not just from our, not just from our leadership and from some fired up people, but God, we would be a church from, for, that, that, that says uh, that, that from every last person in our church, like this is who we are and this is why we're here, that, that we would be a church that, that champions the cause of Christ that we would be a church of disciples that are making disciples all for the glory and fame of Jesus. And so just right where you're at, just kind of a moment between you and God, what is the spirit putting on your heart right now? How is he speaking to you? How is he moving you? And just in this moment, would you just say, I'm not gonna harden my heart. I'm gonna say yes to whatever the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart right now. Today, the scripture says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so Spirit, speak and, and move and, and transform. And my guess is that maybe there's some of you in here today and Again, just heads bowed, eyes closed, just between you and the Lord, that, that some of you today, you need to go public. You've been a follower of Jesus. You gave your life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized. You, you need to get baptized. And you can sign up on our app, on our form, but, but, but you can get baptized today. We've got clothes for you. We're ready for you. If the Spirit's moving in your heart to get out of your chair and come get baptized here in a second, we're gonna stand and worship. Pastor Brandon's gonna be over here on my right, your left. You can get out of your chair and come talk with him and he'll help you get set up and we'll give you the clothes and, and everything so that you can get baptized today so that you can go public with your relationship with Jesus. If, this, if the Spirit's prompting you and moving you to do that today, then say yes and, and get out of your chair here in just a second and go talk with Pastor Brandon and get baptized today. We're already baptizing a lot of other people today. Some of you need to go public. Some of you 
the Spirit's speaking to you right now about going deeper. Deeper in your relationship with Jesus, deeper in your connection and commitment with our church family. Maybe by getting in a small group or, or beginning to give or serve. Maybe becoming a member and joining our church. Our next membership lunch is next Sunday. But, but however the, the Spirit is prompting you right now in this moment to go public or in some way to go deeper, let's just say corporately together, let's just say, yes, Lord, whatever Spirit, whatever you're doing in us, we're not gonna harden our hearts. We're gonna say, yes. Give us a passion as you said you would for the things, the spiritual things of heaven. And God, let us be a church that exists for the reasons your word says we exist. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?